Thank you all for coming. So, we don't have to Okay, good. So, so, should we just go around the room? Or? Yeah. Okay. So, start from the side. Oh, yeah. Uh, my, name's, uh, my name's Nick. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm a lover of Bhagavad Gita Tuesdays. <laughs> I've been here before, so I know a few people. Thank you for being here today. Uh, it's, always, it's always my pleasure. Uh, it's always very f- difficult to fill in Joshua's shoes. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, I'm taking the risk. <laughs> but I, uh, I consider this his. Uh, his blessing and his, his encouragement that uh, I'll be here and try and uh, share with all of you a uh, few things that I've learned from the Gita and to learn from everyone. I, uh, every time I teach the Gita, it's, it's a, the biggest learning experience for myself. I walk away learning things. Every, every single time I've been a unique experience. Open prayer is the same this time. So, a little bit about myself. Uh, my background, I, by the way, my name is Rasanath, and uh, I am a monk at the Bhakti Center. I also help manage the place, and I also run the education, educational offerings that we have at the Bhakti Center. And prior to being a full time monk, I was uh, an investment banker on Wall Street. So some people say it's the natural direction to take. Uh, 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 so, uh, so life is an interesting journey. Well, that's what I've seen. Uh, so, and I've been a student of the Gita for about 15 years. And I've been teaching the Gita, I would say, sh- sharing 
since 2002, so 10 years. So Joshua told me that that you were text eight chapter four, which is a very very important verse. So I'll read the Sanskrit again for those of who were inspired to recite it. Please treat it as well. It's page number one hundred ninety-two. Paritranaya sadhunam Pinashaya chadushkritam Dharma samsthapanathaya Sambhavami yuge yuge Paritranaya sadhunam Pinashaya chadushkritam Dharma Samsthapanathaya Sambhavami Yuge Yuge Paritranaya Sadhunam Vinashaya Chadushkritam Dharma Samsthapanathaya Sambhavami Very important verse from the Gita. 
And uh, one of the primary reasons why it's important is uh, on the path of spiritual life, many times we are looking for assurance. As we are walking through, as we are taking this journey of self-discovery, uh, it's uh, it's always difficult to walk a path that is filled with uncertainty. Life is uncertain. Uh, I like to say that the world is a grey area. Right? We would love for it to be black and white, because then it helps us make our decisions very easily. What's interesting in the world is it's grey. And uh, when it's grey, it's very difficult to see how to manoeuvre. And this greyness can be experienced in daily life. Right? Uh, we are always confronted with choices. And we, New York City, that's why the stress levels in New York City are high. Two reasons. There are goals and there are choices. Too much to achieve many things to live with. <laughs> and, uh, it's a statistical survey uh, that they did in 2009, which actually showed that a lot of stress is created by choices that we have So every time you go to a supermarket, if you walk by Whole Foods, which mm. most of us do, who are shopping, right? so many different products to buy. And the same thing has five different labels. Each time you walk away with one thing, uh, always concerned in our mind, you know, am I missing out on something? So, creates a lot of stress. So, because of choices, because of goals, and even within choices, uh, when we make it more complex, uh, we're confronted with choices in terms of what I should do with my life, like, uh, what I should be doing with the vacation time that I have. And it gets even more, even further complex when it comes uh, to relationships, which is probably the most complex field. And it's like, it's great, you can't figure out this person. And it's, uh, and today it's like very sweet, the conversation's really nice, the next day it's just like, I mean, do I, do I even know you? Right? Uh, and, and when it comes to people, uh, this is what makes it so difficult because um, It's, it's, it, there is a lot of greatness. We carry within us uh, both the positive and the negative aspects. And so it's very difficult to label someone in a particular way. There is a lot of unpredictability in relationships. So, uh, and then, when we take it one more level deeper, right, uh, the question about who we are, our identity, uh, and our own process of discovering ourselves many times leads us to those very gray areas within us. So now we are going from the outside world within. And we find a lot of grays. And usually uh, when we see the gray areas, it's kind of difficult to see the dark sides. And we like to push it under the carpet. And it's a very unconscious defense mechanism. Externalize issues. So it's it's very it's very unconscious. That's how the ego deals with things. 
So when we embark on this process of uh, self-discovery, uh, there is a lot of uh, uncertainty that we have to face. And as a monk, uh, I can say that uh, in 2006, when the financial markets were at an all-time high, is when I got my job offer. Uh, at that time, the sign-in bonus was just to put a sign on a piece of paper was $60,000. That's how much Wall Street paid. So uh, it was around the same time that I developed a desire to give at least a part of my life to, uh, to monastic training. Uh, and as, as soon as I started confronting that desire, then some of the most deep, dark attachments that I had started to surface. Okay, if I give up this job, no, no medical insurance, okay, that's, that's one thing. But then, uh, but then no one's going to, investment banker, look at the prestige that comes in. And you tell someone that I'm an investment banker. Of course, now it's a bad word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, at that time, it was pretty prestigious. Now if you say you're a banker, you're the 1%. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so at that time, uh, when, I was, uh, when I was seriously considering this, uh, this choice of giving myself to lead to monastic training, I started confronting uh, uh, some of my most deepest, deepest attachments. And I used to play them out in my dreams. <laughs> so it's like, uh, you know, one dream that I very vividly remember was, was uh, uh, just me not being anyone. When we come in touch with our own insignificance, it's actually scary. Uh, I will be no one. No one will really recognize me. And even after I became a monk, there was this deep temptation to tell people that I used to be a banker before. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of like getting the attention, getting the validation, uh, right? That that uh, uh, that is needed for the ego to thrive. So when the ego faces, when the ego gets a gets a gets an impression that it's it's uh, it's actually going to be dismantled, it just rebels. And one of the best ways that it knows to rebel is by, you know, throwing out all these fears. And uh, the other dream that I played out was, uh, again, you know, family was, my family is it's a very big thing even, even now. And at that time, uh, uh, I, was, I was very concerned, afraid, worried, in anxiety about how my mother would react to this decision. So there was one dream that I saw which was very scary where I saw that my mother died <laughs> on hearing this. It's not, this is not, it's not fun. But then I started playing out these dreams. I uh, st- started playing out these fears uh, through my dreams. So uh, when you do go down to those areas of attachments, uh, when the ego starts to really, uh, when you really start confronting the ego, it becomes even more gray. And should I do this? Should I not? Am I assured of achieving uh, peace, everlasting peace, liberation? These are these are very valid questions because uh, our flashlight only shows us so far, right? and we can only walk the distance that we can see. 
So, and especially when it comes to spiritual journey, uh, it becomes even more complex because we see more darkness than we have ever seen before <laughs> within ourselves. Because we do go down to those places and we directly confront the ego face to face. So, uh, uh, every bit of assurance, every bit of encouragement is uh, very critical at this point. Because uh, usually we like, to, we like to get, we ask for proof. Okay, show me that this works. But what is interesting with spiritual life, what makes it so special and so unique is the uncertainty. Because if it were certain, where is the question of courage? Like the first question, if we have to do a difficult task, if you are doing a difficult yoga pose, the first question that comes in mind, how long? Because if we know how long, then the mind has the capacity to kind of adjust and say, okay, fine, it's going to come to an end. Okay. But, uh, but what about a journey where you don't know where it's going to end? Or you don't know how long you have to go through this dark tunnel. Does it even have, have an end? So, uh, so that uncertainty is what makes it uh, so unique. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it exciting, although it can become exciting. When we are starting on the journey, uh, I think that's what makes it an act of courage. Because uh, courage means uncertainty. Don't know the outcome. And so what Krishna does in the Gita, this is a very interesting situation that Arjuna is in. Um, Arjuna is confronting things within himself. And at this time, it's one mechanism of the ego that I like to call the ethical side. Uh, Arjuna's whole argument that he wouldn't fight is because he feels it's unethical. When you, when you dig down deep, uh, what is Arjuna holding on to? What, what kind of ego? Self-worth. Okay, self-worth. What kind? <laughs> it's funny, I'm having this... Uh, this well, least fear. At this point, he's still afraid. He's, you know, he's looking out over the battlefield and he's uncertain to the results. Okay. In the previous chapter, Krishna's like, don't worry, or chapter two, I think, or three, he's like, don't worry about the outcome. Yeah. They, you know, the results are not the concern. It's how you process this information, how you do it. Uh-huh. Center himself. 
Okay. Good. The next right, right? But basically, you gave me the, you, you basically went through all the 80 chapters of the Gita. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, no. That's, I'm a good teacher. It's excellent. <laughs> that's true. Isn't he also holding on to his reputation? Very interesting, right? Reputation, right? And, um, and if you look at Arjuna's arguments, they're very valid. I mean, any sane, rational person reading this would actually say, I mean, this is a this is a very saintly argument. Right? Now, it's very interesting to see how many times we can actually make spiritual excuses for not confronting things. Right? So, uh, here is a relationship issue. And uh, we might very well say, well, the Courses and Miracles said that uh, we should have a conversation when there is love and right now there is no love between us so I won't talk to you so when you experience love then we can have it. Avoiding the conflict. <laughs> right? Avoid the conflict. We like to think of ourselves as peaceful. Right? But behind the peace there is something raging and peace sometimes can be used as a mechanism to not deal with Thanks. And Arjuna also had this uh, this whole ethical <laughs> ego mechanism, which actually said you have to be this guy who uh, who sh- should not be going down in history as a person who killed his own family people for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the kingdom, right? the sake of riches. So Arjuna was holding on to something. Reputation, right? And sometimes uh, reputation can come in many different ways. Sometimes it can be in pursuit of success. Sometimes reputation can be let the world know that I've never refused anything. Generosity can also be a way of keeping reputation alive. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm doing the right thing. So the ego is very tricky in the way it works. Uh, Its mechanisms are very, uh, I would say, uh, sly. It can very easily convince us that, uh, look at the cause. You're a peaceful person. You're an ethical person. But then if we drill down deep, are we truly confronting the issue? Why is it so difficult? Why was it so difficult for Arjuna to kill his kinsman. He was actually trying to run away from something. He was caught right in between attachment and duty. And usually the zone of conflict, this is what I said, usually the zone of conflict is when you know what the right thing is, but you're attached to not doing it. As soon as we face, it's every time we face an internal conflict, we know both things. It's just that we may focus on one. Usually it's the attachment. (laughs) But when when there is an internal conflict, there is knowledge of both. Even unconsciously there is knowledge of both. So deep inside we know this is what should be done. But then at the same time this is what I want to do. So this is Arjuna's dilemma. And uh, the first chapter of the Gita is called the yoga version is distress. Very interesting. Distress as yoga. And so he, he is in this in this conflicted situation. 
where he sees both those sides. He actually sees his attachment. Uh, but deep inside, he also knows what his duty, what, what his duty is, and his duty is to fight. So, uh, as we embark on our own spiritual journey, uh, we'll come across several, not one, but several such, uh, say, crossroads. Where, uh, based on what choices we make, the next challenge is thrown at us. Sometimes, if we, if, we, if we make a choice not to move forward with our duty or not to do the right thing, then it's very interesting. The same test comes back again. It's like you know the SATs. You have to. If you don't score enough, you have to come back. You have to retake the test. It just comes back in a very different way. That's all. And if you have to make the right choice, then it takes a lot of courage. And uh, courage, not just uh, courage, has this very interesting feel to it. It's not that uh, there is background music going on, you know. It's just like suddenly you feel like the hero climbs out of it. That's not how courage works. Courage has this feel of like obvious. I see it. Right? I don't know why I was conflicted. I see it. And it's just like a very natural course of action that doesn't require any external validation for it to live. But to get to that point of being able to see with that clarity requires a lot of digging and uh, wading through stuff. And that requires courage. But when courage is at its peak, it's, it's just obvious, it's just very natural. It's, yeah, I see it. It's just like the truth, just becoming evident. And once the truth is evident, it's uh, no one needs to force us to act. It's just like it's a force on itself. I know what needs to be done. Just do it. Right? It's a it's a very it's 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 a it's very natural. So, uh, but then getting to that point takes a lot of work. And uh, during that time, what is also very important is the. Uh, is the kind of assurance, is the kind of encouragement that we get. And uh, interestingly, Krishna happens to be Arjuna's chariot runner. So this verse specifically for me, when I, when I read it, uh, it's, uh, it's Krishna's assurance to Arjuna that don't worry. Like, I am with you in this journey. Right? So when he says, to deliver the pious and to annihilate the miscreants, uh, this also has, a, so this has, so this can be understood in several contexts. One is in the context of the battlefield, where Krishna said to Arjuna, you will win. Here's the clue. Right? So don't worry about the consequence of this war, because you're going to win, because I'm on your side. But also on a deeper level, um, uh, there is also the sense of uh, I am with you to actually go deeper so that you can destroy the demoniac forces with you. That's the other side to it. Right? And this assurance is so critical, uh, especially at a time <laughs> I, when I usually talk about this verse, I talk about a very important concept that's dealt with in Christianity called the dark night of the soul. 
Mm-hmm. Okay? And then, you know, if a great white shark is out there doing something and these fish are eating other fish, it's in the system. It has nothing to do with, with, with traditional ethics in, in, in that sense. It's really, say, so you know what, if you do this, you're going to survive. If you do that, you're not. And, and there's another piece to the whole, to the whole system. Interesting. Interesting you say that because uh, I've been thinking a lot about our own experience of anxiety and doubt. And uh, especially really going back to this concept of this concept of anxiety, which is actually the name of a book by Soren Kierkegaard, Concept of Anxiety. Uh, but, uh, you know, there is a basic anxiety about existence itself, which is what gives rise to existential philosophy. But then uh, there is always this undercurrent of life and death, being and not being, you know, as we know of it as. And uh, when, when I see that conflict, to me, what it, what it means is, uh, this is, this is this is the start of my own spiritual journey. This is the biggest question that I had in my mind as an 18-year-old. Why death? Why should I die? What's the point? What's the purpose? What's the purpose of life itself? Uh, and uh, the search led me to even internally understand that the very fact that I'm looking to live forever means I have an experience of it. Because I can only produce what I know. But the, but but then 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 why the fear of death? Uh, uh, you know why this whole experience of mortality, uh, uh, which the Gita then says is false identification, which is which is what Krishna starts up in chapter two, right? Uh, but then I, I want to just bring it back to the point of the dark night of the soul and the final doubt, if I may call it that way, uh, and as you also stated that. Uh, this, uh, this, this last big test where uh, what is interesting is deep inside uh, when you come to this place of the dark night of the soul uh, uh, there is also a deep spiritual experience which is why we have come so far okay. but at that point there is this juncture where we hit where it's like the door opens right? uh, and Everything that you looked for can be proved to be true or false. That's it. And it's such a moment of test <laughs> that it takes a lot of courage to actually go through that. If you read the life of saints, um, this is like the, uh, the, the biggest test where after which the grace is just like, just pours and they become instruments of compassion in the hands of God. That that big that final test is like uh, gets gets really dark. <laughs> That's why it's called the dark night too. But, and as you rightly said, there is also the experience. There is also uh, there is also a good deal of experience of uh, I would say spirituality, experience of the essence, which is what has brought us this far. But at the same time, it's not it's not over. It's not done. There is still one big doubt left because it's like eating, right? I mean, something may taste really, something may smell nice, something may look nice, but the full experience of that happens when we put it in our mouth. I, don't, I remember this really funny story. It's a true story to one of my friends. Uh, so this was a this was a day in our tradition. We fast on certain days. Uh, certain auspicious holy days. So during fasting, usually what happens is as the day is 
moving forward. Uh, each time you see food, <laughs> it's a temptation. So uh, that day, somebody, because it was a festival day, somebody had prepared a three-layered chocolate cake. <laughs> and uh, throughout the day, this person was looking at it. It's just like waiting for the time when I can break my fast. So the time came, broke his fast. He had big slice of that cake uh, on his plate. So he, first thing, you know, he sat down, put it in his mouth, <laughs> and accidentally, instead of sugar, there was salt in it. <laughs> so it, it's very funny the way he describes it. It's just like very, very funny because what he said was the expectation was so high that when he first took a bite into it, he couldn't believe he actually changed the side. He actually took a bite from the other side too. <laughs> because the disbelief was so high. You know, he had to bite into it again to see whether it was <laughs> truly exalted. Right? So, I mean, it looked very good from the outside, but then the final taste of it is only, you only get the final complete assurance that it is as delicious as it looks when you taste it's a very similar experience with spiritual life. Yeah, it's yeah, just remind me of something. Do you think we're afraid of death or the pain that happens just before death? Ah. Well, I've come... I had a near-death experience because this was uh, six years ago when I was a student at Cornell in my master's in business. Uh, I think the pain of death the pain of coming in touch with our own non-existence and the probability of it and the fact that, uh, that uh, I am actually coming to terms with my own vulnerability can be extremely, extremely difficult. And that was my personal experience. The first thing that came to my mind at that time when I was facing it was, uh, you know, time just dilates. Every moment is just like, you know, it's like a movie playing in front of your eyes where all the people that you loved, the deepest attachments, just start coming out in front of you. It's like, you leave all this. It's over now. It's kind of difficult to confront that. And uh, the very fact that, you know, what's going to happen? The uncertainty that surrounds it. It's, uh, and usually sometimes people say I'm very peaceful, I can be very peaceful at the time of death. Sometimes uh, resignation also seems like peacefulness. Now, uh, last week uh, somebody, uh, I was this neurologist who was giving me a presentation on the effects of meditation in the human brain. She was talking about this piece, uh, it's an almond shaped uh, component at the back of the brain called the amygdala. Now the amygdala is uh, uh, it actually is like a fire alarm system for a building. So each time the person is in danger, it's like goes off, shuts off other parts of the brain. It's just like totally reactive component. And uh, she was explaining how uh, at the final stage sometimes the amygdala just says, okay, minimize the pain, just resign. So you see that in Discovery Channel sometimes you see animals like a zebra being chased by a lion and then it knows it's going to be caught just like gives up. 
and the and the and the and the whole and the whole uh, psychology of giving up is to decrease the pain that may come if uh, so reduce reduce awareness so that you don't have to face the pain and we do this even in regular life kind of decrease awareness i don't want to see it so uh, there are very different mechanisms that we adopt to kind of deal with it um, yeah so long answer to your short question Surgical methods—that we, we're constantly even recording pain right. or, or right. under anesthesia. Right. Right. You know, the amygdala just keeps ticking. It's like the Apple yeah. the, the, the Energizer button yeah. <laughs> just keeps going no matter what. Car accidents, anything. Yeah, absolutely. So again, uh, coming back to the point of the dark night of the soul and this whole this whole cloud of uncertainty that surrounds our own spiritual life. The main point here is Krishna's. Uh, Krishna is actually assuring Arjuna. Don't worry about it, because I'll be there with you. Right. And in uh, uh, very interestingly, uh, for me, this actually uh, uh, courage is a, courage is not a rational act. When I say rational, uh, I can't convince myself to be courageous. So I can't talk myself into doing an act of courage. The whole experience of courage is an emotional act. It's an act of like, yes, courage is. There might be a rational component that supports it, but it's an act of the heart, and usually it's accompanied by an experience of the heart that's waiting on the other side to get it, and that's why this assurance of Krishna is so important because this is not just a logical assurance. This is a loving assurance. When Krishna says it, he actually means it. And of course, uh, the dynamic between Krishna and Arjuna is so beautiful. Right, right from the start, Krishna is seated on Arjuna's chariot as his guide. And when he gives this assurance to Arjuna, it's a very loving assurance saying, Why are you worried? I'll be here with you. And he says, he says, I have done this millennium after millennium. I have done this in the past. So you don't have to worry about it. Right? So this, this whole tone of assurance, this tone of encouragement, especially when you're at that time when you're facing the dark night of the soul, uh, the deepest, darkest moments of choice, especially as we embark on a spiritual journey, uh, choices sometimes become difficult. Uh, and at that time, having this assurance helps us take the next step. Having uh, either Krishna directly, Arjuna was very lucky to have Krishna by his side, or even having Krishna's representatives, teachers, um, people who have walked that path before, who can give us an assurance that, well, you know, I have done this, and don't worry about it, you will make it. Okay. So that assurance, having that assurance is such an important component of our spiritual journey, which is why I personally feel uh, spiritual life is always, it becomes uh, easier when it's done together 
because uh, there is that sense that somebody else is walking with me on this path. Either a contemporary or uh, a person who has already walked the path who can also be a friend. So sometimes you know, gurus can be too inaccessible. Now what's beautiful about this whole section is Krishna is very accessible to Arjuna. He's just sitting in Arjuna's chariot, ready <laughs> to drive the chariot. Right? Although, and although, although there's a shift in the relationship where Krishna becomes this instructing Arjuna on a science, there is still that, that beautiful accessibility that Krishna provides to Arjuna. So even when he's saying these verses, when he's declaring himself as God, uh, there is one section in the Gita when we study chapter 11. It's this whole big declaration that Krishna does, shows his universal form as the Supreme. And uh, as, as soon as Arjuna sees that, uh, you know, you can see that accessibility starts to close, shut down. And Arjuna immediately tells Krishna, hey, hey, I just want to see you as that sweet blue boy. So it's, 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 it's very beautiful to see that assurance and that accessibility come together. Um, and if we have such a, such a friend in our spiritual life, it makes the journey so much more beautiful, so much more enjoyable, uh, so much more inspiring. So for me, this, this, this verse that Krishna actually talks about, delivering the pious and annihilating the miscreants, uh, is giving Arjuna the assurance of the fact that I'm with you, I'm walking with you. And I've done this in the past, uh, and I will empower you to do this. So move forward. I'd like to stop here and open this up for a discussion, questions, comments. Yes? Very well. I just want to make a comment. Um, yeah, please. Because it ties into the conversation last week just about Dharma, because we're in the discussion about what it's And here, you know, he's, he's saying basically three different things. You know, his purpose, support the pious, not the miscreants, reestablish the principles of religion, which is the same with Dharma. And then when he goes to the end of the purport, mentions Lord Chaitanya and so that the way Chaitanya uh, Mahaprabhu actually established the Dharma was say it's through chanting. Right. So and chanting is big around the energy movies. I thought that was a it's a very nice simple way um, that we have uh, in this time period to really shift and change the atmosphere not only externally but our internally as well. Right. The highest dharma is when uh, we can follow a process that reveals our own identity. Because at the end of the day, dharma has four, four different meanings. On its simplest level, dharma is... Anyone know what the meaning of dharma is? You know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it says that, uh, um, that dharma is represented by the four legs of the bull. Okay. So it's uh, mercy. Yeah, those are the four. Those are the four uh, legs.
Yeah. Josh talks about that. Okay. Sort of the right, sort of the, the right way or the conducive way you know, to support your spiritual life as opposed to kind of throwing monkey wrenches you know, along your um, path, along your journey. My question was around uh, the, uh, the meaning of the word dharma. What does the word dharma mean? Inherent quality. Inherent quality, okay. Inherent duty. Duty, okay. Religion, what else? I mean, how, how do all these connect? I mean, it's the same word. Same word, dharma. Sanskrit is an interesting language, right? Uh, uh, it's, uh, uh, there is a branch of linguistics called contextual linguistics. It's very interesting because you can use the same word in different contexts and it, it can actually mean something very different. Sanskrit is a reusable language. You can use the same word in different, different places and it, it actually can mean the same. So, uh, so, you said duty, Kim said, uh, inherent quality, Ekayana is saying, uh, principles of religion. Standard operating procedures. Standard, standard operating procedures. Think about it. Standard operating procedures. Very interesting. The group will survive. If you do these other things, the group will fall apart. Okay. So, you know, okay. say, if you, if you have miscreants on one side and pious people on this side, it's also... They all, they, also have, they all have a heartbeat too, so there's something else. Okay. So even the bad people and the good people all have something deeper. Okay. But again, coming back, coming back to the question of how do, how do, these, how do these connect? How do these connect? Well, it sounds like something I guess that you uh, strive for or dedicate your life for, uh, okay. religion, okay. and so on. So my first question to you is, how do you know what your duty is? So, meaning of the word dharma means dharma means duty. So, well, you know, not necessarily. Um, How do you know your duty? How do you know your duty? Your soul dharma. Okay. Astrology Okay. Okay. So, so, so all. Yeah, no, no, sure, I, I agree, I agree. Uh, but is it is it more around duty or is it more around, okay, if I do this, then I'll get the good results? <laughs> no, it's, it's more like the proper use of energy, like what proper would be the energy. proper use of energy for me in this lifetime. Like, okay. I am supposed to be a lawyer, but I go and I try to be a monk. So <laughs> I'm probably going to do a whole lot of harm. Okay. Whereas if okay. I know that I'm supposed to be a lawyer, then energy will just pour through me and I'll feel the manifestation. Okay, okay, good, okay. I like it? Okay. Okay, good, good. Um, what you enjoy doing, what you still enjoy doing. What you still doing, okay. Okay. Uh, this word vocation, right? Vocation. It's a very, it's a very interesting word, vocation. So, uh, discovering a vocation takes a good amount of time. <laughs> I've, I've seen, I've talked to, uh, even at school, it's like uh, when people are coming out of school, fresh out of undergraduate, after finishing four years of school, it's usually a dilemma. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like, you know, like I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't know. 
maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll travel around for a year. That's usually the choice of people make. So I travel for a year so that I discover or I unlearn what I learned in school so that I can really find. So, so Dharma is a very complicated thing to discover. Like our own psychophysical natures, what are we supposed to do? Um, it takes a while to actually figure out. Right. So on the basic level of beauty, what am I supposed to do in the world? Right. Uh, that you can only realize when uh, I realize psychophysically what my nature is, what my calling is, what my vocation is. Right. So on that level, that is one aspect of the Vodham. So then that takes us one level deeper. Okay, so what is what am I psychophysically? So going back to Kim, your point about inherent quality, inherent nature. So you can have inherent nature based on our psychology and inherent nature on our essence, our truth, the uh, who we truly are. And both can be inherent property. So 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 uh, I know what I'm supposed to do if I know who I am. That's how the two are connected. So duty and inherent property, the way they're connected is, I know what I should be doing if I know who I am. So on a simple psychophysical level, that's knowing our nature. And on a deep spiritual level, knowing our true identity, which is the essence of soul. Spirit. So the, the real actual meaning of the word dharma is, uh, so if you take it down several levels, the deepest level, the meaning of the word dharma is, that's why it matches to religion. Because religion teaches what identity is. That's why dharma also refers to religion. So like for example, if you say, what's the religion of salt? What's that? Salt adds flavor. Salt adds flavor, but what is the religion of salt? When you, when you talk about salt, what comes to mind? Salty. Salty, exactly. It's that simple. It's that simple actually. You cannot separate saltiness from salt. That's its dharma. So dharma means something that cannot be separated. We come with it. It's our inherent property. Right? And at the core of it, that's the truth. So that's why dharma can also be referred to as truth. So you see how all these are interconnected. So, going back to your point about you know, how establishing of dharma, in the process of uncovering the truth right, uh, is so the process of you know, at least one of the recommended process, the process of chanting, where we can rediscover our own identity, so to create that connection. Spiritual process. Well, it's a nice thing about this verse is because even though it's on a battlefield in the first word, the point that Shri Prabhupada makes is that the Abhijit Tan doesn't come with any weapons. He doesn't come with any Oscars in the stage. So, the whole game has so much potency that it can really shift and change the atmosphere.
question? Frank? Is that is that it? Frank Chat. We need to know who you are in your dharma. Who you are the dynamic because your dharma came with it? Or is interesting. Very good question. I was hoping somebody would ask this question. Very good question. Again. The question is, if dharma is it's our nature, nature would mean dynamic, meaning it changes. Is that so? Does that mean our dharma changes? Uh, so that's the uh, that's the that's the real conflict that we come to when the uh, when we encounter that the dharma of the body is very different from the dharma of the soul. So the dharma of the body will change over time because the body changes. So even in this one life, it's very interesting how many different dharmas that we have had. Like as you know, between the ages of five and twenty-five, the main dharma was what? School. <laughs> Sorry. Right, that was that was a dharma. Right, and then even in relationships, then there were dharmas. Right, so. And, you know, there was a certain phase in life where you have to be obedient to the parent. And then that changes. And then, and then after 25, you know, then you get a job, and then, you know, that becomes part. And then there's family, and then you have responsibilities towards family. That becomes the family. So, one second. So, so even, even with this, even in this one lifetime, uh, we see our dharmas shift so many times. Right. So, uh, so dharma that is related to the body will change. Uh, but dharma that's related to the soul is not changing because that's the soul's inherent property. That's why uh, spiritual life, what spiritual life actually does, it aligns the dharma of the soul with the dharma of the body. Right. So that's that's what karma yoga or karma yoga that culminates in bhakti is all about. It's engaging the nature, but in a spiritual activity. So Krishna is telling Arjuna, fight because that's your nature. So based on his physical body, he's a warrior, he's a fighter. But what Krishna tells Arjuna again, he says, come at it from a place where you're fighting for my pleasure. That's the dharma of the soul. So when the two come together, then that becomes spiritual. Okay? What is it? Oh, which matter? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the first what are the things I've been walking around with like the last um, week? Because I read I go through and not take it personally. Because this guy who 
there and is having this conversation with God, we still have a problem with everything. Imagine, I, so, so that's what I've been walking around with like, the last week in my head, like coming from that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. In the, in the acceptance of struggle comes the uh, humility yeah. to walk the path. That's what I've been churning in my head for a while. It's like, it's just like okay, this is, this is true, this is reality. And, um, again, coming in touch with our own vulnerability. I'm okay with it. This is my thought. Thank you. <laughs> And there's also something about the importance of teachers as high, high status leaders. And we have these mirror neuron systems that tell us when we're little kids to listen to our parents because they guide us to help us live. And then you have teachers, and, you have, and then you have people like, say, Christian and Arjuna, he's a high status individual. So there's something inside his physical structure, his brain, so you know what? He knows something, so I'm going to listen. <laughs> so I think I think uh, I think that's one element. The other, but the other element is also a heart connection. Yeah. There's so much trust in that relationship. See, vulnerability only happens in a place where there's trust. Simple, right? I mean, Arjuna was such a warrior, such a fighter. He never lost a single battle. That's his record. And here he is, before the battle of his life, puts down his bow and says, "I can't fight." It's like. Uh, the best player of the team on the eve of the Super Bowl says, I can't do this. It's too much pressure. I mean, look at the audience. Everyone is seeing. I mean, this is like, this is like a, this is like the biggest war that has ever fought. Right? So, uh, so the reason why Arjuna is able to do that is because Krishna, there's such a level of trust in that relationship. Arjuna can make himself vulnerable and that vulnerability is what leads him to understanding the truth. And again, coming back again, it's time it all together. That takes courage. So, uh, but then if, you, if, the bo- if the two come together, if there's courage uh, in the person going through the struggle and if there is a guide who provides that environment, safety, the two come together. It makes a very dynamic combination. Yes. Take a relationship, for example, the person that you love the most, and uh, the person asks you to do something. You don't know. Uh, you don't know 
the outcome of it. You won't know the outcome. How will you how will you react? How will you say? If the person I love asked me to do something, I would probably do it. Right? So it's a very similar uh, experience. Uh, I cannot be exact one is because I don't have the personal experience. Uh, because it's such a fine line, the whole concept of the dark night of the soul is something that uh, only when you experience you actually realize the beauty and the pain of it at the same time. Uh, in that sense of the term, I would say it's uh, it's like a paradox. And the interesting thing with the paradox is you cannot logically explain it. What pulls you out of the dark? It's fake. It's, 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 And secondly, that's that's very well said. It's very well said. Secondly, what also happens is what pulls you on the other side is uh, there's this experience of love. There's something that you're experiencing deep inside that uh, you cannot deny. But at the same time, you cannot confirm. It's like this. There's this push and there's this pull. And so at that time, the free, will, the free will is tested to the maximum because the only thing that can help you make that choice is your own choice. You're left up to yourself. That's why it's such a test because now it's you. It's, I would say, the complete exercising of free will that has to happen. That's why the uncertainty element is so crucial. Makes sense?
Lions go over here, Bulls go over here, and Blocks go up there. We accept the nation's special prior guest speaker tonight. Um, and if anybody wants to participate in the Prasad for next week, talk to King and share. They will tell you how to prepare Prasad and what you're supposed to do and how to bring stuff. I don't know if we have any other announcements. I have a, a quick announcement. So, uh, I'm teaching this course uh, at the Bhakti Center. It's a two weekend workshop called Excavating Your Ego Type. Uh, it's a customized, customized look into your ego functioning. Uh, it's a 24 hour workshop that spans across two weekends. Uh, and, uh, you know, we actually put together two frameworks. We use the Gita and we use another framework called the Enneagram. And we actually put the two together in a, in a very constructive way. Uh, I'll actually go into the into customized look at nine different ego mechanisms um, and uh, its ways of functioning and ways of coming out in the world with interactive exercises so you can come in touch with what your particular ego type is. Uh, so uh, if you're interested, uh, it's uh, $150 for the entire workshop. It's 24 hours and that includes lunch. Uh, so if you're interested, you can... You can register all the information is available on the full start of site for us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, very grateful to be here again.
I should turn this off, right? <laughs> 